0: Hi, this is Larry Mantle, host of Airtalk on KPCC. Since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had a daily segment on Airtalk devoted to the latest information about COVID-19. kpecc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. And joining us to talk COVID is Dr. Kimberly Schreiner, Huntington Hospital in Pasadena's Director of Infectious Disease and Prevention. Very good morning to you, Dr. Schreiner. Good morning to you, too, Larry. Appreciate you being with us, as always. First, I just want to ask you a very open-ended question. Your thoughts about the Omicron variant and um, your concerns and and, um, whatever you think are the most important questions to answer about it in the coming couple weeks.
1: Well, we still know very little about this virus, and I think uh, we just need to be patient and let science take its course here. Uh, which is actually, the researchers are moving quite rapidly, it does appear to have many more mutations than the Delta uh, variant. But whether that makes it more severe and or more transmissible, we don't know at this point. Uh, Most of the cases in South Africa have been relatively mild, although they have occurred predominantly in younger people. So it is something we've expected and anticipated, and it is a function of the fact that most of the world still has not been vaccinated. So there really is an imperative to move forward and try to get vaccines to uh, all around the world so that these areas of replication can't produce mutations like this.
0: One of the things we heard about South Africa is they have a particularly good system of tracking mutations of uh, SARS-CoV-2. And and I wonder, in the U.S., are, are we catching up to that? Are we getting better at tracking these variants?
1: We are, Larry. It's been a little bit of a slow roll here, but things are improving in the genomic sequencing department. It's a very, very important part of surveillance of uh, viral evolution. And so it helps us sort of see what's coming down the road before it actually hits us. And it's a little bit more complicated than a straight um, PCR test to detect virus. And it does require some more sophisticated laboratory equipment and technicians. But it's vitally important, not just for SARS-CoV-2, but frankly, for all viruses, especially emerging viruses as we move forward.
0: World Health Organization uh, saying this morning, blanket travel bans won't prevent the spread of a new coronavirus variant. They acknowledge countries could order quarantines and take screening measures like testing travelers before or after arrival or both. Um, This, again, comes from the World Health Organization, after so many countries have banned flights from South Africa and Botswana. And, um, you know, that's raised concerns among South African government officials that this does great economic harm to them. Uh, Your thoughts, Dr. Schreiner, about those kinds of travel bans like the U.S. has imposed?
1: Well, I think uh, President Biden did it to try to buy some time. Um, But as we know, and as you can see, it's not very effective. The virus has probably been out circulating for a little while anyway. It was first reported on November 9th, but now there's cases that are well-established in Europe. So it's it's been out there. And as we know from all our previous experience now with SARS-CoV-2, that it will indeed spread around the world. Travel bans don't aren't really the most important tool in trying to prevent um, the virus from traveling. Uh, masking, testing, and of course, vaccination and proof of vaccination are the much better routes. And I would imagine that fairly shortly, most governments will switch to that mandate that perhaps On all flights, perhaps even domestic flights, we need to consider testing uh, as a way to control um, uh, the the emergence of these kind of variants.
0: We have a couple of economic powerhouses, Japan and France, have reported their first cases of the Omicron variant. And we have new findings that it appears that that uh, mutation was in Europe close to a week before South Africa uh, identified it there. Um, so do we have any sense of the pace of spread based on this or is much of this, uh, that we're we're getting, you know, quick verification that it is multiple places, but perhaps has been there a while?
1: I think that's probably the latter. I think you're right, Larry, that it may have been there longer than we thought. And that actually might be a good sign that it doesn't seem to be, uh, Uh, maybe it's not as uh, severe, causing severe disease as the Delta. That's going to be the real question is how does it perform against Delta? Delta is such a dominant variant because it is highly transmissible and causes severe disease. But as many infectious disease doctors have been saying over the last few days, it's kind of a balance for these viruses. They don't want to be too nasty and kill the host too quickly because then they don't spread. So it's in the interest of the virus To become more transmissible, but perhaps not as severe. And that might be a good thing um, for hospitals and certainly for patients in terms of the severity of disease. We just don't know yet. There are some worrisome mutations on this virus that may evade some of our therapies and that is of great concern.
0: Chance for you to ask Dr. Schreiner your questions. We're at 866-893-5722, 866-893-KPCC, or email us your question at atcomments at kpcc.org. Please include your first name and your location. And if you're listening on the podcast, you can still submit a question. It won't get asked, of course, until the, the next podcast edition that you hear or the next day on the radio broadcast, but there's no reason you have to feel left out. You can you can email us a question. Don't call, but email, and uh, we'll be glad to put that on the list, and, and we'll perhaps get to that the next day. Marion Irvine emailed us. I heard uh, it said uh, that the Omicron variant has 10 mutations where the virus uh, attaches to uh, the human delta. Others had only two or three. What is the significance of that?
1: Well, Mary, we don't really know that yet. Um, it may be a very significant uh, change. Again, um, the virus is looking for a way to better infect the host because that in- enhances its survival. And uh, the, the variant does have many, many mutations uh, on the spike protein, which is the attachment site. It also has some mutations in some other parts that may help the virus um, escape or withstand. Uh, vaccines and therapies. And that's where there's probably the most concern right now that we may have to retool some of our tools to fight off this virus. But the virus is, is constantly looking for a better way to infect uh, hosts. And unfortunately, we still have a lot of hosts around the planet because so many people are not vaccinated and have not yet had COVID. But it is going to happened down the road, as one of the, I think it was the Austrian health minister said, people are either going to be recovered, dead, or vaccinated. That's kind of where we're going with this, I think.
0: All right. Amy in West Los Angeles saying, is there a place where we can report venues or restaurants that aren't following the vaccine mandate? Amy, I'm not aware of that. Uh, Of course, you can choose not to patronize those establishments, but um, you can check the uh, public health website for Los Angeles County or check for the particular city, if you're in the city of Los Angeles, and see. But I, I'm not aware of. Dr. Schreiner, are you aware of, of how you would make a complaint like that?
1: I think you can report uh, those to the public health department. But of course, they're pretty overwhelmed right now. And yeah. the ability to really do much about that is not not um, within their wheel power right now. So uh, probably just not patronizing one of those places is probably the best way to go. And I, I expect
0: you're going to see on social media a lot of... Um, uh, magnifying of those, of that information about businesses that are or are not um, uh, doing that. Um, Matt D'Angelo Antonio, our line producer right now, went to the county site, is that right? County Public Health. Matt found they actually have a form you can submit. So, Amy, they, counties thought of that. So, LA County Public Health on their website, you can, you can do that. But I think, as Dr. Schreiner says, realistically, they're probably not going to be rushing someone out to that location, um, you know, promptly. They, they've got a lot to do. Stan uh, emailed us, both my kids contracted COVID about the same time as they got their first shot. Since they've had COVID in their first shot, what's the recommended course of action? Should they get the second shot, the usual time frame, or should they wait? We have just about 30 seconds left. Dr. Schreiner.
1: I'd recommend that they probably go ahead and get the second shot, although they can wait a little bit longer if they got COVID right after the first shot. That sort of kind of counts as another booster, but they should go ahead and complete the course.
0: Dr. Schreiner, uh, I have several um, several things to sort of lump together uh, in one question for you. We have Regeneron's monoclonal antibody treatment apparently not as effective against the Omicron variant, according to preliminary tests. Uh, we have um, BioNTech's founder, CEO, saying that the Omicron variant isn't likely to cause severe illness for vaccinated individuals. That's good news. And we have Moderna's CEO uh, predicting that current vaccines will struggle against the Omicron variant. So we've kind of got on the one hand, on the other hand about it. How much, how much weight do you give these very early assessments?
1: Well, I think that speaks to the the lack of scientific data that we we don't have at this point. So, uh, or that we you know we just have to kind of pursue things and be patient. Uh, it doesn't surprise me that this variant is resistant to the monoclonal antibodies. Um, they are sort of geared to um, help prevent disease, but they've been geared up for viruses that were less. Um, Nasty than this particular one, so we can that can be changed fairly easily, and I'm sure that the pharmaceutical companies are working fast on that to have a more a broader type of antibody uh, that can be used in the setting of early disease. Uh, with regard to um, uh, Mr. Borla's comments about Pfizer, um, I think that uh, right now it, it looks like that I think it's possible that the vaccine will still hold, especially people that are boosted. Um, and I think that that's very important for boosting. We've all long thought that this is probably going to be a three-part series to be vaccinated against SARS-CoV-2, and I think that's probably playing out right now in terms of our ability to get through the winter and also to deal with this variant. Will the 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 vaccines be as strong? Probably not, but um, using these vaccines, they're strong enough. They still may be dropping down to 75%, which is a very good performance rate for vaccines. Moderna, I think, is is perhaps being a little bit more cautious, and remember that both of these companies uh, can easily change the formula because of the mRNA platform that really allows you to go in and tweak it a little bit if you have a variant that comes along. And Mr. Borla last night on CNN was talking about that. They'd actually prepared a... Uh, Beta and a delta version of their vaccine, but didn't use it because their original vaccine formula is working so well. So it's possible to tweak it a little bit and uh, in the next few months have uh, a more refined vaccine that can really go after this if it turns out to be a beast.
0: And I was hearing them estimate they could do it in about 100 days. And I was wondering why it would even take that long. Is that just the manufacturing taking that long, or would it take that long to actually redesign for Omicron within the vaccine?
1: Well, I think that includes testing against the actual virus, and so that, you know, they have to dial in the different recipe. They're sort of processing parts of this and and implementation and, and then cranking it out pretty quickly. But that's the beauty of mRNA vaccines is that you can make a lot of them very fast. And uh, that's, they're much easier to do high production than the traditional adenovirus-based vaccines. And so that's going to be in our favor. And that speaks to the fact, Larry, for all of the dire news we're hearing, that we have incredible knowledge now about this virus, and we have some very, very effective tools, and we know what to do. And that's what we have to keep in mind.
0: Uh, Dennis in Alhambra says, a member of my family's convinced they have long-haul COVID. They think they had COVID last year but tested negative twice. I was wondering, is there a test they could take that could determine if they actually have long-haul COVID?
1: There's no specific test for long COVID. Um, it's, a, it's a collection of symptomatology. But it does need uh, need to be in the setting of having had uh, SARS-CoV-2 infection, and that can be proven uh you can even you can even discern natural infection from vaccinated status. Um, There are many other syndromes, however, and other viruses that can produce very similar type symptoms. Myalgic encephalitis and chronic fatigue syndrome, Epstein-Barr virus, all of the herpes viruses may do this. And so we're hoping that some of our information and data that we're collecting on long COVID will shed some light on these other post-viral or post-infectious chronic fatigue syndromes.
0: Maureen Irvine said, I was vaccinated in March, then contracted COVID. So I want to know, is, is it a good time to get the boost?" Because I'm unsure of my current immunity, my primary doctor was unsure.
1: If uh, you had your infection uh, more than your infection with COVID after your after your last shot. Uh, more than six months, I would recommend getting a booster right now. Uh, your physician can measure antibodies as well. That sometimes can help make you to make a decision, but it's probably better to err on the side of the booster if you're not too close to when you actually had your infection. If it's more than uh, four or five months, I'd say go ahead and get the booster.
0: Tony and Echo Park says, isn't the Omicron variant spreading rapidly in South Africa? I thought the numbers out of there were suggesting it was more transmissible. Uh, Dr. Ryan, I guess one of the complications is they have a comparatively low vaccination rate.
1: That's right. And what Tony's talking about is it has exponentially increased sort of threefold uh, within a very short period of time. Uh, that was occurring mostly in college students. That's where they first identified it. And um, and so that's not exactly the, the population, the general population. It could be sort of a super spreader event. That's a possibility. But I think most people think that this is a more transmissible uh, variant. And that's something we're going to have to watch very carefully.
0: Peter in Pasadena says, do we know where Omicron originated? Was it South Africa or somewhere in Europe?
1: We don't know. And that's kind of why WHO wants to use these Greek letters uh, and not uh, the South Africa variant or the Pasadena variant, because uh, we don't really know where these things come from. You know, sometime in the future, when we have some time and a moment to take a breath and we're not dealing with acute crises during the pandemic, some of that evolutionary virology, and it is actually being done right now, will give us some clues as to where these things are emerging. Perhaps are they coming, you know, are they reintroduced into populations through some other source? perhaps another animal or something. We just don't know. But that's important information that's sort of being looked at right now and, and it will certainly be studied later.
0: Alex in El Segundo says, how does COVID affect you if you've had it multiple times, even if you're vaccinated? I imagine people come up against it all the time. How is this affecting our immune systems?
1: Well, it's a very good question, Alex. We don't know. And um, clearly this virus uh, does affect the immune system. Uh, and so um, it's just we don't really know exactly what it's doing. And we you know, really don't also know what the long, long-term side effects would this be. And people who've seemingly perfect, you know, recovered perfectly fine from SARS-CoV-2, is it possible that they could have problems down the road? We don't think so, but we don't know. But 30% of people who do get the infection get long COVID. And that's another reason to get vaccinated. There's quite good evidence now that's emerging that vaccines protect you from developing long COVID uh, for most people.
0: Dr. Schreiner, Marvin in Redondo Beach emailed us, what percentage of uh, positive tests for SARS-CoV-2 are sequenced to determine the strain? And has the percentage been increased to improve the detection probability for the Omicron variant?
1: I'm always impressed with the questions that your listeners ask, Larry. They're just incredibly well-informed and insightful. It's an excellent question, Marvin. Uh, Right now, I think the county, the state of California and the county have been doing about 10% of specimens, uh, but they may be increasing that because there's been a big push for financial support for doing genomic sequencing. And, again, that's such a very important part of monitoring uh, the evolution of pandemics as they're happening in real time.
0: Dr. Schreiner, I wanted to ask you, with World AIDS Day being tomorrow, and you've been on the front lines of AIDS treatment and research uh, back at the height of the pandemic, and now you've gone through this with COVID-19, wh- what are some of the things as, as you look at, you know, the evolution of, of treatments and how we've dealt with these two pandemics, what what stands out to you as perhaps similarities and things that are dramatically different?
1: Well, it really is an interesting experience for me personally, Larry, because my career has sort of been bookended by these two pandemics. You're absolutely right. My career started with HIV, and, um, and now I'm not going to retire tomorrow, but you know I'm certainly 30 years in now. So it's now we have this pandemic. Uh, there's some great, sim- uh, some very similar things. They're both um, zoonotic infections. They came likely from animals, a zoonotic spillover event. Uh, they both affect the immune system differently. The SARS-CoV-2 virus increases and agitates the immune system. HIV, of course, suppresses the immune system. Uh, they are global uh, events, and both of them have been pandemics. Uh, They continue to be a problem. HIV, we don't have a cure. We have excellent treatment now, but we certainly don't have a cure. There are about 37, 40 million people around the world who are infected as we speak today. And we had 1.5 million new infections last year with about 680,000 deaths, including almost 100,000 children who died of HIV last year. So it's an ongoing pandemic uh, and a very serious one. And I think that one of the the great gifts of all of the individuals, the 37, 40 million people who've died from AIDS over the many decades of this pandemic, one of their legacies is to have stood up and volunteered to take medications, to participate in clinical trials that were done at that time at an incredibly slow rate. I mean, you know, what we've done in the last two years with COVID is incredible. We've developed a vaccine. We have therapies. Um, you know, we've identified the pathogen, we know how it's spread, we know a lot about its behavior. That took many decades, frankly, for HIV to, to accomplish, because it was such a mystery. It was a brand new pathogen. HIV, of course, is a retrovirus, SARS-CoV-2 is a coronavirus, so they're transmitted in different ways, but they also affect populations of color and disproportionately underserved and poor countries, and that continues to be an enormous problem in sub-Saharan Africa and other parts of the world with very rickety healthcare systems. I worry very much that COVID is going to, having put the damper on support for these healthcare clinics that take care of people with HIV, that it's going to actually increase the incidence of uh, of HIV for the short run until we get the medications uh, back out there. And the sad thing about HIV is we don't have a vaccine. Uh, and but I do think we're going to have a cure, and it may happen fairly soon we have one patient that was identified the esperanza patient in argentina a few weeks ago who clearly has been able to clear her hiv infection and we understand a lot about this virus and where it hides in the immune system and what it does to the immune system and much of that data has been very helpful in understanding sars-cov-2 so the two overlap they're very different but there's a great deal of similarity in terms of sort of the social political and human cost of both of these pandemics
0: (laughs) Remarkable. And, and sadly, both uh, heavily politicized uh, in their times as, as well, as uh, people's lives have been, been under threat. So many of us who've lost people uh, during both of those pandemics. Dr. Schreiner, a pleasure to have you with us. And also just thank you for all that you're doing. Your, your service to the public is hard to put into words. It, it encompasses so much over these three decades plus of your work. Thank you very much.
1: Well, thank you, Larry. And I just, uh, KPCC does such a wonderful job for the community. It really is just remarkable. So keep going and please donate and support NBR.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Kimberly Schreiner, Director of Infectious Disease and Prevention at Huntington Hospital in Pasadena. Thanks for listening to this episode of COVID in L.A. If you'd like to stay up to date with the latest coronavirus news, you can listen anytime at LAS.com, at KPCC.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. See you next time and stay safe. I'm Larry Mantle.